Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today... We're going to be talking about the 1984 space adventure saga, The Last Starfighter, a movie that I myself had on an unofficial VHS tape as a (laughs) child. Uh, I think it could have been taped off TV, or maybe it was one of those analog pirated movies we had uh, where like... You know, you do the double VCR method. Somebody must have had a double VCR in my parents' Mm -hmm. neighborhood because we had a a number of those that I think had originally been rentals from Turtles video. And somebody did what they were not supposed to and made a copy. Uh, But uh, anyway, so wherever it came from, I had this VHS tape. So I watched this movie uh, several times when I was a kid. And I had not seen it since I was probably 10 years old. And I just recently started thinking about it for some reason, uh, looking at all of the the great monsters in it. It's got some very gross and slimy alien designs, including one species of alien that I I realized I had always thought of its head looking like a VW Beetle. Uh, Do you know the, the hit beast that I'm talking about, Rob? Yes. Oh, goodness. What are they called? Um, Zanzans? Uh, <laughs> Zandozans? I have Zandozans. Zandozans. That's it, right? Yeah, Zandozans. It sounds like a, 
a fun European candy, you know, that you wouldn't find mm-hmm. out about until you, you go on a school trip or something. Or it's like a local restaurant that has, uh, that has like uh, low hanging lights over the tables with like fringe around them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Very, very weird, uh, very, uh, very, very cool, practical alien makeup in that. But the head is shaped like a VW Beetle. It's like the dome on top, and then the <laughs> eyes are down on the sides where the headlights are on the car. Yeah, a bunch of great aliens in this this one. And I think that's, that's the main thing I remembered from this film. Um, I don't remember where or how I saw this film as a child, but I probably hadn't seen it since I was around 10 either. And I remember digging the video gamer gets alien abducted in a good way plot. I remember liking that. You know, this is just sort of your basic magical call to adventure uh, sort of vibe. And I remember mm-hmm. liking that. And I remember digging the creatures, digging some of the creatures in a few dramatic moments. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this movie has its ups and downs. But overall, I'd say on rewatching, I think it holds up pretty well. Uh, it is clearly derivative, as many critics pointed out. It, there are like... You can see the pre-existing elements from other movies that fed into this. It's kind of like, okay, what if you had Star Wars, but Luke Skywalker wasn't on Tatooine, he was on Earth, and he wasn't on a moisture farm in the desert, he was in a trailer park. In fact, a cozy Spielbergian trailer park full of down-home Spielbergian whimsy and and and, and cute, funny characters and like uh, kind of mischievous kids with an attitude. Uh, but much like Luke Skywalker, he still gazed off into the distance, yearning for so much more in life, yearning to get away and see the world. And what if instead of Obi-Wan Kenobi, he met up with Harold Hill from The Music Man, but from space, literally a lovable con artist alien with a rocket car? And what if instead of the Force, there was a sentient video game? And what if instead of the the other companions, you know, the droids and Han Solo and Princess Leia and all that, you had Dan O'Herlihy in a lizard costume? <laughs> I can imagine it going down just like that. And then producers saying, yeah, yeah, Harold Hill's great. Do you think we could get him for this? And they're like, yeah, we can totally get him. I know a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think it actually makes for a really fun movie. Uh, I I think you and I might differ on this next point. I would say, actually, if I had to make up one major criticism of this movie that stands out more than any other, I, I don't really love a lot of the special effects used in the space battles. This is... This was one of those movies in the class of uh, Tron and other films that were experimenting with what you could do with computer-generated effects in the early-mid-80s when, you know, this stuff was very new. It was very primitive by modern standards. Uh, And unfortunately, I think for me, I don't think the computer-animated space battles are super compelling. And I imagine how much better they could have been with, you know, some of the the Star Wars original trilogy style model work and and little, you know, practical effects and space backgrounds and all that. But of course, at the same time, I have to really respect that despite the limitations of what computer generated effects could do at the time, these were the the cutting edge. Like they look great for what you could do with that. I think I agree with all that. Uh, I, f- I found this to be the weakest aspect of the film rewatching it today. Yeah. Certainly you look back on this and I think most of the, the space, some of the, the earlier space sequences where spaceships aren't doing much, maybe they're just flying. Like those, those aren't uh, as bothersome. Uh, the, the effects are clean. Uh, they're, you know, they're crisp. They, they don't completely throw me out of the movie viewing experience, but I kept finding myself thinking that, okay, these effects 
are, are clearly uh, you know pushing the boundaries of what's possible. They're better than bad practical space effects, but they're nowhere near as good as good <laughs> practical space effects. You know. Mm-hmm. So I would agree with all of that. I, I, was, I was reading about this one in one of Michael Weldon's psychotronic books, which uh, this one wouldn't have, this wouldn't have come out more than I think a few years after uh, after this movie. And like he mentions the computer animated effects, but does so without any judgment, which he does a lot in these very short reviews. But mm-hmm. I wonder if that was telling. It's kind of like at the time, if you're viewing these effects, maybe you're more inclined to just lean into just how amazing they are. It's like mm-hmm. if you were to go to the old World's Fair and see Walt Disney's robot Abraham Lincoln up there on the stage. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this before. Whereas today we're like, ooh, that's that's kind of a creepy, uh, you know, semi-robotic uh, Abe Lincoln up there. That's actually, I think that's a very good comparison. I've noticed that when you read reviews, uh, older reviews from critics, of movies that use a lot of CGI, I'd say before like the you know mid two thousands or so, critics very often seem to rave about the quality of CGI that is abysmal by modern standards. Like you look at it t- today, and it is the ugliest thing you've ever seen. But if you go back and read what people were saying at the time, it's almost universal praise for those kind of things. Then I think something changed in the 2000s where critics started kind of souring on on a lot of computer generated effects and now it's just now it's just everywhere so you don't even like really say anything about it anymore it's just what effects are but there's a long period where for some reason it seemed like people were yeah they were just impressed with them even though like in retrospect I think they don't look very good yeah i mean the 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 individuals who tended to do the best with those effects were those who were really pushing the boundaries and trying to do things that weren't weren't even completely possible at the time and had yeah. the resources to pursue that uh, that ideal you know you're thinking about people like like uh, like the Camerons and the Lucases mm-hmm. and even then sometimes even then sometimes uh, you know there're going to be moments in those films even where like clearly they were they were they were chasing after something some detail that was just a little too difficult to grasp yeah yeah but from everything i read the last starfighter was genuinely uh, boundary pushing in a technological sense like the apparently the, the amount of supercomputer power that went into the the polygons that make up these spaceships was tremendous for the time yeah yeah and but at the same time yeah looking at it today as a modern viewer it's weird because you have these primitive computer effects side by side with breathtaking practical um you know monster costumes mm-hmm. that that look terrific today like you you'd be yeah. so lucky to to have a movie with monsters like this in it today 100% agree um and and it's interesting i think to think beyond just the fact that they were both early uh uses of of extensive cgi in movies to compare this movie with tron yeah, yeah, there this is a, a film is very Tron like in many respects. I think I would I would loosely uh, uh rope this one in uh, to a category of uh, I guess arcade exploitation cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't the, the, you know, I'm thinking of films like Tron from 82, uh, Nightmares from 1983. I'm not sure if you've seen this one. They used to show it on on A&E on cable like in the mm-hmm. middle of a Sunday back in the day, but it's a, a horror anthology series. Or more like just sort of a weird stories kind of anthology series. And there's one segment called The Bishop of Battle, and it has Emilio <laughs> Estevez in it. And basically it's some sort of strange arcade machine sucks him into a, a, a world of uh, you know, supernatural intrigue. 
I like the title. I, I might have to look that up. There's also a Charles Band picture, The Dungeon Master, which um, which which has a from '84 that also has a bit of this vibe to it. So it's something mm-hmm. that was very much in, in the the public uh, mindset of, of the day. You know, the arcades were big, video games were big, and there were people coming up with new stories about them. Like, uh, what if we were actually, everybody's being sucked in by a video game. What if you were actually sucked in by that video game? What if you got Tron? What if you got Last Starfighter? Uh, what would that be like? And of course, we, we continue to find video games interesting in uh, speculative fiction. We have, you know, I'm thinking about the likes of uh, Ready Player One, Cronenberg's mm. Existence, Bandersnatch. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I can't help but think of um, the novel and, and subsequent film adaptation of Ender's Game, which has a bit of this in it as well. Like, what is simulation? What is real? I was making exactly the same connection to Ender's Game. In fact, I was like, wait, which came first, Last Starfighter or Ender's Game? Because there are some parallels. And I think they came came out like within a year of each other. Yeah, based on just some some quick research I was doing, it looked like 85 was the publication of Ender's Game, but the the original story was published in the late 70s. Mm. I don't know enough about like the original short story upon that, that was expanded into Ender's Game, so I don't know how much of Ender's Game as we know it was present in the late 70s, but I guess I'm willing to give the author the benefit of the doubt on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I would say that while they share a kind of central uh, premise or mechanic, the, the everything around it is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so maybe I should do the basic elevator pitch on the plot. It goes something like this. Uh, you got Alex Rogan. He's just a regular teenager with big dreams. He lives in a dusty trailer park by a lake with his mom, his little brother, a large cast of zany neighbors, and his girlfriend Maggie, where the only real excitement in life comes from the local video arcade cabinet outside the general store, which is a space-based shoot-'em-up game called Starfighter, and Alex plays this game obsessively. He really wants to get out of Dodge. He wants to go to go to some college somewhere. They don't they don't say where, but it's assumed to be far away. He wants to see the world, but his application for a student loan is denied. Oh, is he ever going to escape and see the world? And will that escape involve a covert pilot recruitment plan for an <laughs> ongoing interstellar war? That's what we're going to find out. Now, actually, I thought this movie is mostly, you know, it's it's a it's kind of it's a space adventure. It's it's kind of simple in a lot of ways in terms of plot. It's it relies a lot on kind of the, that spirit and the heart and all that, which comes through pretty well. But the actual central premise of the movie, I thought, was extremely clever. So clever, in fact, that I wondered if it was lifted from somewhere else, like if this was inspired by a pre-existing movie or piece of sci-fi literature. So the, the idea is that this video game that Alex plays all the time is actually, unbeknownst to him, a secret training and recruitment module for star pilots. So there's an alien who, uh, he's like a, an alien space force recruiter who seeds the galaxy with these video games. And once a player who just is playing it for fun happens to reach certain performance benchmarks, the alien shows up to take him away for duty. And I think that, that is a fantastic fantastic hook did that come from somewhere else i wonder yeah yeah i don't know um of course the interesting thing about this is you could you could apply this to any kind of game in general you could have some sort of like um 
you could you could have a, a version of this in the ancient world where some sort of new board game is introduced, something like chess, mm-hmm. uh, and oh, it turns out it's aliens trying to see which of which of these humans has the best strategic mind, so they may be taken up and placed in an uh, in, in the midst of an inter- interplanetary war. Yeah, and it's exactly this mechanic we were talking about that is in. I mean, in a somewhat different way, but in in many ways replicated in in Ender's Game. Yeah, like there's some uh, blurring of the like what's a game, what's a simulation, and what's the real thing. All right, well, let's go ahead and hear the trailer audio for this one. This is a pretty good, pretty good trailer. The narration is by John Leader, I believe. Alex Rogan lives in a small trailer park in the California mountains. He has a dream to go to college. You guys think I'm going to hang out here, watch you shine your pickup? Forget it, man. I'm doing something with my life. Start a career. You really are leaving here, aren't you? Of course I'm going away. We're both going away. Both of us, Alex. And most of all, to get out. You get your chance. Important thing is when it comes, you got to grab it with both hands. Then... One night, a mysterious stranger offers Alex an opportunity he never dreamed of. Who are you? I'm Centauri, and you may... No, you must trust me implicitly. Get in. Nothing Alex Rogan has ever imagined could prepare him for what he is about to experience. (laughs) Hey! Why was Alex chosen? And will he ever return? Where are we going? Trust me. Oh, you're gonna love it. Love it. Look out! Oh, dear. The last Starfighter. His adventure in space is about to begin. Pretty solid. I have to say, I, I I did not remember the trailer, so I wasn't sure if this was going to be a trailer where you had the goofy narrator or the serious narrator, because this <laughs> is the sort of film that could go either way, depending on how the studio was maybe feeling about promoting it, right? Right. Uh, Alex never thought this would happen to him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 before we forget, I wanted to mention another reason that I ended up thinking we should do The Last Starfighter on this show. It has a surprising number of Halloween franchise connections. (laughs) Uh, It has connections to all three of the first three Halloween movies. So this movie was directed by Nick Castle, who plays Michael Myers, who plays the shape in the first Halloween. It stars Lance Guest, who is a, uh, one of the main actors in Halloween two. And it also stars Dan O'Herlihy, who is the villain in Halloween three season of the witch. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's pretty impressive. Uh, so yeah, let's go through some of these individuals. Uh, yeah, starting with Nick Castle, the director, uh, born nineteen forty seven, American director who directed an array of kids movies and miscellaneous films, including nineteen ninety three's Dennis the Menace, nineteen ninety five's Major Pain, and the nineteen eighty nine Gregory Hines dance movie Tap. Uh, but when it comes to weird psychotronic and sci-fi films, he's probably best known for The Last Starfighter and his work with John Carpenter on the screenplay for 1981's Escape from New York. I just had an idea recently. Hey, nobody who's listening, but don't steal this. Uh, <laughs> uh, my idea was somebody should create Escape from New York, the musical. Doesn't that just see, seem like that would work? We already have a musical number in the picture, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge musical guy, but I think I would watch that one. Oh, I totally would. 
I, I would I would star in that one if they would have me <laughs> let me in. All right, well, let's talk about the screenwriter here. It's Jonathan R. Batool, born 1949. This was Batool's first screenplay to make it to the screen, which he followed up with another teens break sci-fi movie, My Science Project, which I don't remember ever seeing, but I remember the, the VHS box art for it. Uh, mm. that, that one had a cast that featured Fisher Stevens, Richard Mazur, who was, of course, in John Carpenter's The Thing, and Dennis Hopper. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, He also wrote and directed... Um, uh, some episodes of the anthology series Freddy's Nightmare, and he also wrote and directed 1995's Theodore Rex, Ooh. a picture we talked about <laughs> recently on the show. But he is also the co-founder of the visual effects studio Luma Pictures, which has been involved in a ton of especially 21st century films, ranging from No Country for Old Men mm. to Underworld 3 and a ton <laughs> of MCU films. Huh. Okay, if you could only keep one, No Country for Old Men or Underworld 3, which one? Oh, don't make me choose. These, these are two <laughs> films I, I legitimately enjoy. Um, I mean, no, I guess you have to keep No Country for Old Men, but, but Underworld 3 is the best of the Underworld movies, so I don't know. I remember your advice one time was to skip the first one, skip the second one, and go straight for three. Yeah, three is the, the prequel film. It has all the, the best actors from the first film in it. Uh, and I thought did a pretty good job. Like when it comes to doing a prequel movie where, okay, well, we can't kill the main villain. There are certain things we have to do and certain things we can't do. I felt like that movie did a pretty good job of navigating those uh, limitations. I suppose it will have to be my entree to the uh, Underworld series. <laughs> Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, let's get into the cast. So we've, we've mentioned Alex Rogan, our, our, our hero, our, our teenage dreamer turned starfighter. He's played by the actor Lance Guest, born in 1960. He was Michael Brody in 1987's Jaws, The Revenge. He was Jimmy in 1981's Halloween 2, as you mentioned already. Remains active today. He starred on Broadway as Johnny Cash in the musical Million Dollar Quartet in 2010. He, I think he's a good casting choice for this role. He has a natural kind of sweetness to him. He just seems like a like even when he's uh, not, you know, when his character is not at his best, he's you know he's being kind of petulant or something. You sense a good natured core to him always. Yeah, he's really solid in this. He's a solid lead. He's uh, he's a, he's able to do like the serious teenage dreamer stuff as well as the funny stuff, and uh, he he kind of has a dual role in this as well. As yeah, we yeah. All right. Well, you know, if you have a teenage dreamer, he's got to have a love interest. Uh, the love interest is Maggie Gordon, played by Catherine Mary Stewart, born 1959, American actor, probably best known for this picture, but she was also in 89's Weekend at Bernie's. She was in 1984's Night of the Comet, and she was in the stupendous 1980 80, uh, Adam and Eve musical spectacular, The Apple. Uh, so she's still got to see that stuff. 
Oh, it's it's tremendous. No, I know. Uh, but she's also she's great in this too. Yeah, she's really good. I mean, this this is exactly the sort of actor you want playing this role. Yeah. Um she's she's still active today and she's been in a load of of other cool stuff. She was uh in the weird 1987 adaptation of George R R Martin's Night Flyers and she mm-hmm. was on two different episodes of the 90s Outer Limits, Family Values and Unnatural Selection, but I'm I'm not sure that I've seen either of those. One of those has Tom Arnold in it, which is not the reason I haven't seen it. <laughs> I just I looked him up and it's like, have I seen this one? No, I don't think I've seen one with Tom Arnold in it yet. I, I would say in general, the the human cast of this movie, like the the, the Earthlings, are uh, they're well selected for having a, a kind of down home good nature to them. They really make you care about Earth when later on that you find out that the when you later on find out that Earth itself will eventually be in the crosshairs of Zur and the Kodan Armada. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, now, now, Jane, who is Alex's mom, is played by Barbara Boson. Uh, I'm just going to mention her real quick because she, she is an actor who started off as an uncredited nurse in 1968's Bullet, and she was a TV cop in both Hill Street Blues and Cop Rock. So cop Rock. Go. Yeah. So I guess she's a singer and an actor. I don't know. I haven't seen Cop Rock, but um, I'm, I'm familiar with it by reputation. Now, there is an actor in this movie who is not only great in the movie, but I feel like he must have somehow been part of the pitch for the movie yeah. because the role, it's not just like he's good for the role. It feels clearly like it was written specifically for him, and that is Robert Preston as the space con artist Centauri. Yeah, it really does feel like a situation where they wrote it for him and they were like, do you think we can get him? And they're like, yeah, we can actually get him for this. And they're like, that's perfect. And it is a pretty perfect performance. Like you enjoy him every time he's on the screen. Totally. Robert Preston lived 1918 through 1987, American actor of stage, screen, and TV, best known for his role as the con man Harold Hill in 1962's The Music Man. Uh, I believe he originated that role on Broadway as Mm. well. Other films of note include 82's Victor Victoria, Sidney Lumet's 1972 film Child's Play. This is not the one with the killer doll on it. It's a different <laughs> film. Um, Last Starfighter was one of his final films, but his uh, credits extend all the way back to the late 1930s. Uh, he's yeah, marvelous in this, and yeah, the role clearly plays off of his music man role as well. He, he talks exactly like the Harold Hill character in The Music mm-hmm. Man, like the, some of the same sentence structures and metaphors. Uh, you know, uh, Harold Hill, a lot of what his character is, is uh, giving out, outlandish uh, sort of vivid examples of things to conjure uh, fears or, or evoke emotions in the mind of his marks. And he does the exact same thing in this movie. He's like, you know, uh, he's like, you know, when, when Alex is like, Hey, where are you taking me in this space car? Uh, Centauri says, say, are you the kind of kid who reads the last page of a mystery first? No, that's not you. <laughs> it's just wonderful. It's yeah. He's so good. All right, moving on to some of the other actors here. Um, some of these may not be in order of importance. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss here. But uh, we have uh, Enduran. Is, am I saying that correctly? Enduran? Mm. He's the, I don't the, know. The, he's the king of the Rylands. He's the main Rylands. The Ry- okay, the Rylands, to back up. The Rylands are an alien species in the greater universe of this film. 
that look like alien Larry Davids. Uh, that all ba- <laughs> even the females look like Larry Davids. Yeah, they, and, they've um, all got the heads. Yeah, mm-hmm. like imagine Larry David with like a, a like a slightly swollen outer limitsy um, head, and that's that's the Rylands. They look like a cross between Larry David and a little bit of Exeter from this island Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of Tom Noonan as well, maybe in there. One fourth Tom Noonan. Anyway, the, this this uh, this character, the, the king of the Rylands, who we meet, the bearded Ryland, played by K. E. Cooter, uh, lived nineteen twenty five through two thousand three. TV actor and later voice actor, who is just in tons of stuff. So titles like Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, uh, The X Files, Baywatch Nights, a movie called Fran- or I think this is a movie, Frankenstein General Hospital. So okay. a lot of stuff, a lot of voice acting later on. Uh, he's the Ryland leader, but he's also the father of our enemy, uh, Emperor Zur. So it basically turns out that interplanetary, interstellar politics, it's also one big family drama that Alex is being sucked into here. And there's a lot we never find out about the the alien politics. We just know that, uh, yeah, he's he's the head of the Rylands, and his son Zur is a Ryland, but has betrayed the Rylands and is stealing imperial secrets of the Rylands to go work with the Kodan Armada to destroy the Rylands. Is that right? Right. That's right. Okay. The Kodans in this are they're essentially like the Klingons of this world. They're the warlike, you know, space orc species. And they they look really cool. They have this, they're kind of like barky space orcs yeah. that have really cool like red and, and silver and black uniforms. And the main one is this uh, character named Lord Krill. And it's played by, this character is played by Dan Mason. And this is the one that has a space monocle. This is the thing that, that stuck in my memory the most, that I remember most from my childhood of watching, watching this, is that he tends to punctuate things that he says by having his monocle like servo into place over his eye, <laughs> uh, which as a child, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. This is like, like this made the film memorable, this one space monocle. Yep. I know exactly the moment you've got in mind. We can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but okay. So we got some aliens with with the skulls. Those are the Rylans. You got the other aliens who want to go destroy the Rylans. They look kind of like human trees. And then you've got Grig, who oh. is Grig's kind of the heart and soul of the movie, isn't he? He's he's a lovable space lizard who just wants to fight for righteousness in space. Yes, and this of course is Dan O'Hurley, who lived nineteen nineteen through two thousand and five. Uh, probably not going to go into as much detail here about him. We talked about him a good bit in our Halloween 3 season of The Witch episode last year. So I guess go back and listen to that if you want a deeper dive on Dan O'Hurley. But uh, this is the old man himself. Um, you know, he had a robust acting career prior to the 1980s, but he's, he's I think, best remembered by many viewers today as playing these villainous, white-haired men uh, in suits often. Uh, so Connell Cochran in, in Halloween 3 season of The Witch the old man in the first two RoboCop films, Andrew Packard on Twin Peaks, just really great at playing those kind of villainous roles. So and to a certain extent, it feels weird. It feels maybe wrong that in this film, we cover him up with turtle uh, makeup, basically put him in a turtle costume and make him a space turtle. And, um, and, and yet he's, he's really good in this role. Like he's funny. He's, yeah. he's, uh, 
Um, and the, 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 the suit does look good on him. Uh, I, one thing I kept noticing is that his eyes are very kind of, have kind of almost kind of bloodshot look to them, which mm-hmm. kind of adds to the effect. Like it feels, it makes the suit feel more organic somehow. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not, not really sure why, but. I, no, I know uh, what you're talking about. You can kind of see like the red around his, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's also got a vibe that I recognize from other, especially movies aimed at kids from the 80s where there's a character who's kind of, oh, in some sense, kind of almost stuffy, kind of highfalutin, like, he, you know, he's about space and we must fight for the for the Rylands and all that. But then also he will crack a joke and go, oh, and, and <laughs> I don't know if I'm articulating this right, but there's like a, a, a thing like that. There are characters like that. It's the kind of role that led me to expect a final scene back on earth where, you know, after they've defeated the bad guys, Grig is hanging out with all of Alex's friends by the lake and he's wearing sunglasses, dancing to Kenny Loggins and maybe drinking a Miller genuine draft. And then he looks into the camera and says, surf's up. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> it would totally be in keeping with the film. I mean, cause we do get some, a scene that implies that he might date some grandmas later on. Yes. And, and we do, we also have the scene where he shows his family photos to Alex, which is just, which is that, which is in, intentionally hilarious. Like there's mm-hmm. no other way, um, so uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun role. I think I think the the uh, the only thing that might, in retrospect, take away from it at all would be the fact that the following year in the film Enemy Mine, you have Louis Gossett Jr. giving a stellar performance in another sort of reptilian human costume. I made the same connection. These are two big movies in a row with the human hero acting opposite a great character actor who has been put into scaly lizard makeup. Ultimately, you know, they're they're different performances and different, different vibes. But um, yeah, when, when you think of great performances in a lizard man costume (laughs) that has no hair and so forth, uh, you're going to think of enemy mine or I do anyway. I don't know what the the public, (laughs) the public is larger public opinion is on this sort of thing. But uh, for my money, Louis Gossett Jr., great lizard man performance. Okay, so that's our that's our heroic friend, our, our sort of uh, uh, buddy cop character almost uh, to, well, they're not cops. I don't know why I said that. Just the buddy. <laughs> you know, he's the sidekick to, uh, to Alex. Though, I don't know if he's the sidekick. Maybe Alex is the sidekick because he's much more experienced than Alex. I don't know. Anyway, they're going to fight uh, Zur and the Kodan Armada together. So we got to meet our bad guys. Who Who is Zur? Zur is just... I would say not only chewing the scenery, Azur is like, uh, oh, much like b- the Brundle fly in, um, in the fly, he is vomiting up digestive enzymes <laughs> on the scenery and then slurping them up. Yeah, so he is like acting um, to, to, to the very limits of, um, of, of, of the, the, our threshold to take it. Uh, <laughs> um, and I mean, this is a very intentional choice. And I think probably mm. this is the right choice. You have a villain oh, in a yeah. space movie like this. Yeah, let them tear it up like, like this. Um, so Zur is played by Norman Snow, born 1950, a Juilliard-trained, Arkansas-born character actor, probably best known for this role, but he's been in a ton of other stuff as well. He's actually in Michael Mann's 1986 adaptation of uh, Richard Harris's Red Dragon, uh, Manhunter. He mm. plays FBI agent Springfield, who I do not remember, um, but I included a picture here for you, Joe, in case you've seen Manhunter more recently than I have. I have... I mean, I've seen Manhunter. It's been a long time. I don't remember who this character is. Uh, I remember liking it as I generally like Michael Mann. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also has the the Atlanta connection of uh, 
the uh, insane asylum being the high museum of art so oh like, yeah mm. that's right that's where that's where brian cox as hannibal lecter is stored yeah snow was in some other pictures as well he was in a 1979 british period piece titled the europeans and he appeared as the klingon Torin in star trek the next generation an episode called rightful air from 1993 i can imagine he would be typecast as villains he is just the the most sniveling sneering yeah i will be evil yeah yeah and even like the it looks like even in, in manhunter like he's perfect as just like a suited fbi kind of dude you know just kind yeah. of coldly standing in the background like e- even if he's not turning up the notch on the uh, the, the acting there now uh, just a few more acting notes because there just there's also some just people with very small roles worth noting will wheaton is apparently in this film though i huh. i don't think i noticed him he he plays lewis's friend lewis is what Alex's brother, a yeah. child who is obsessed with with Playboy magazines. Oh yeah, <laughs> he has a whole stash of them. He has a strategic yeah. reserve of Playboys under his bed. Yep, but that's not Will Wheaton. That Will Wheaton is supposed to be his friend, but I don't think I saw him in the movie. I don't. Remember yeah, like him. so he, maybe he's just barely in it. We also have a hitchhiker character that shows up. That spoiler turns out to be a Zando Zan bounty hunter, played by <laughs> Mark Alamo, uh, born 1942. This is Gold Duckett from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is Everett from Total Recall. And, of course, Rogar from 1989's Arena. Which one? I, I forget who Rogar was. Oh, Rogar is the, like, the main evil dude who's, um, who's running the, um, uh, the prize fights between the aliens. I see. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's got, a, he's got kind of a long neck. Uh, thus, he has the uh, – on, on Deep Space Nine, they really accentuated this well. Uh, he is, uh, what, a Cardassian – is it Cardassian or Kardashian? I can never <laughs> I don't remember, remember which it is. Anyway, um, in this, he's a Zando Zan bounty hunter, and he initially shows up with a mustache. Right, so he looks human at first, but then he... Th- this scene didn't make a lot of sense to me. He looks human, he's you know on the hunt for, for Alex on Earth, and he walks past the Starfighter video game cabinet, and it like blasts energy out into his face that hides his human disguise and un- uncovers him as a Zando Zan bounty hunter with the, with the VW Beetle head. Yeah, yeah, that feature of the video game cabinet was not covered earlier in the film. Yeah. All right, a few others. These are both uncredited roles, but Bruce Abbott is in this, I guess playing one of those teenagers. Uh, Bruce Abbott was born in 1954. Dr. Dan Kane from the Reanimator movies. Oh, he's one of Alex's uh, really mean friends. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Also, Suzanne Snyder is in oh, this. She plays a cheerleader. Oh, go ahead. No, wait. After I said that, I saw that you included a note about him, and it says he's a Ryland sergeant, so i got to be totally wrong about that. Oh, you know, I, I read my own note here, and I thought that was his name, Ryland Sargent. <laughs> one of the, clearly one of the teenagers. <laughs> but no, he would be one of, he would have the, the, the he'd be one of the, um, uh, the, the aliens with the, the hair on the sides of their heads. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we also have Suzanne Snyder in this, playing uh, an uncredited cheerleader role. Uh, born 1962, she also appeared in Weird Science, Night of the Creeps, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, uh, Return of the Living Dead 2, and much more. So uh, kind of a, a genre staple of the time period. Mm-hmm. The music is from Craig Saffin, born 1948. Other scores include the 1980 horror film Fade to Black, the 1983 anthology film Nightmares, which I referenced earlier, which features mm-hmm. an arcade story. Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and 1987's Time Stalkers. 
Uh, so Rob, I know this is not your favorite kind of score because it's a traditional orchestral score. doesn't have electronic elements, but you know what? I actually, I thought it was really solid. I found it, I found it rousing. It had that great, uh, heroic character to it. Yeah, it did everything it needed to do. I have, I have yeah. no complaints about it. Uh, this is not one of those films where I'm going to say the, an electronic score would have elevated it, <laughs> especially given those Spielbergian tones. Like yeah. this was exactly the music it needed. Now, I know you're going to love this, uh, Joe, because our production designer is none other than Ron Cobb. No, the other Ron Cobb this time. <laughs> yeah, not Ronald Cobb, not the, um, the the cabaret costume designer that we talked about in um, uh, Devil Girl from Mars. No, this is the legendary American-Australian artist Ron Cobb, who lived 1937 through 2020 production designer who worked on many iconic films the the designs and looks of tons of movies you know and love from the 70s and 80s that's ron cobb yeah movies like uh, dark star from 74 so mm-hmm. another john carpenter connection star wars from 77 alien from 79 raiders of the lost ark from 81 conan the barbarian from 82 back to the future 85 the abyss from 89 also leviathan from 89 <gasps> so double dipping into the underwater uh, sci-fi terror total recall from 1990 uh, he's credited with having designed the hammerhead alien which we later call an uh, an authorian i believe in star wars he uh, was a conceptual designer on robot jocks uh, he only directed one film and that's 1992's um, garbo which i believe is just like an australian drama that I don't think even has any monsters in it. But uh, yeah, he, he contributed to Back to the Future and Real Genius. Basically, he just had his hand in the design elements of so many defining films of the late 70s and the 1980s. Yeah, gotta love Ron Cobb. Yeah, and we'll come back to some of the designs that he did for this film because they're, they're pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Jim Bissell is, uh, was also involved in this. He was the art director, born 1951. Uh, maybe not as legendary a name as Ron Cobb, but still, this is a guy that would go on to become a big deal in production design, working on films like Harry and the Hendersons, The Rocketeer, Jumanji, which is another uh, game-based uh, fantasy picture, mm-hmm. 300, I think two different uh, blockbuster Mission Impossible films, and much more. Now, one name that uh, caught my eye when we were looking at the credits was the cinematography by King Baggett. Yeah, that, that's, that's the name that uh, captivates you, even if you're not familiar with the early days of cinema. This King Baggett born, it was born in 1943, uh, full name Stephen King Baggett, a.k.a. King Baggett III, the grandson of legendary film director King Baggett, who lived 1879 through 1948. Um, This King Baggett, the one that worked on this film, uh, also worked on such films as The Hand from 1981 and Revenge of the Nerds. Ah, The Hand from 81, I believe, is Oliver Stone's remake, or I don't know if it's officially a remake, basically adaptation of the same material as uh, The Beast with Five Fingers, which we covered on the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much it's, uh, it really has anything to do with the plot of that, but it is very much a detached hand movie. And, uh, I remember, I remember watching it ages ago. It has Michael Caine in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I remember it as being good, but I, I haven't seen it in a very long time. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, you ready to talk some plot? Let's do it. Classic space adventure opening. How many movies have we done now in a row where the opening was was looking at space? We just keep doing looking at space beginnings. Yeah, though this one I rather liked because, of course, it's a universal picture. So we start with that Universal Studios um, logo that has mm-hmm. a, a spinning Earth. And then we cut to a, to a, a very similarly... Um, uh, sized world except it's clearly an alien world because it's got all these brilliant like pink or purple colors to it and Mm. i kind of like that it's like whoa uh, here we are what world is this i'm not sure we do we find out is this the the rylan home world i would guess it's rylos yeah okay but it's a classic space adventure opening either way. So, you, you know, planets suspended in the void and then rushing through a field of stars while the horns are blasting out the opening fanfare. It's a kind of John Williams style uh, open, opening theme, uh, kind of a rousing traditional score. Uh, but then the music turns gentle and homey as, as the credits fade away and we pan down over Earth. First, we see some mountains in the desert. Looks like we're in Southern California, probably. And then we go to our home base, which is the star. Starlight, Starbright Trailer Park. This is the home setting of the movie. And it's it's very much that tradi- there were a lot of 80s movies like this that would start with the the survey of the lived-in setting, you know, the habits, the quirky neighbors. You see a dog snoozing on the front doorstep of a trailer. Um, you see the characters walking around. Uh, there's a guy saying, it's going to be a sparkling day. And then a, a strange old lady pokes her head out of uh, out of her trailer and says, my electricity's out. I'm going to miss my soaps. And she's got the hairnet on. And you just kind of zoom around meeting the different characters. We meet Maggie. Uh, she's got a towel like she's ready to go out to the lake. Uh, she she says uh, hi to some guy who's going off fishing. Oh, she checks in with her granny who's gardening. And uh, it, this is a rockin' grandma. This, she's like Vanessa Redgrave in The Simpsons. You know, ever do the backseat mambo, Craigie? <laughs> Yeah, everyone is delightful in this place. It has um, it has that kind of like small town California charm that that also reminds me of the town from Sons of Anarchy, where the, <laughs> where the motorcycle gang is based. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah. but like far less evil. Yeah, yeah, well, less with less evil. But you, have, I mean, the thing about Sons of Anarchy is there's it's it's evil but wholesome at the same time, right? Yeah, um, but. Um, but yeah, there are no biker gangs here. Uh, no biker gang could ever come here. Like this place is basically Arcadia. Um, yeah, which I found rather interesting because you know, a lot of this, the, the plot initially is going to have to deal with Alex wishing he could escape, wanting to be somewhere else, not wanting to spend the rest of his life here, and kind of trash talking people who might uh, think that staying here is a good idea. And yet, everything looks pretty pleasant here. And I don't think that was the wrong choice. I think the, it would have been kind of a bummer if they tried to portray like a depressing trailer park uh, in the opening of this film. Uh, but it is, it does seem kind of uh, at odds with the way Alex feels about everything. I think you make an excellent point. The trailer park has the feeling of a totally loving and supportive community full of quirky, big hearted characters. It is it's classic Spielberg movie home turf, you know, so you got a PG rated movie of the eighties, you're going to have a, a kind of like a dolly shot around the neighborhood where it's a little zany here and people are, oh, they're all stuck in their ways, but all, oh, isn't it cozy and isn't it sweet? 
<laughs> and it really is like, we, you know, we go around seeing all these characters doing their things. We see Alex's girlfriend, Maggie, who's, you know, she's smart and funny and takes good care of her granny. You see Alex's mom working hard to take care of her family. You see Alex's little brother. Who's the, he's the space Avenger. He's like wearing a space helmet, running around with a little zap gun. Uh, he's, he's up to no good, but in a, in a cute way. There's a cat that crawls out of a mailbox. And then mm-hmm. I think later we get cat reaction shots. Second movie in a row on Weird House where we have cat reaction shots, um, which I, I think in general, I love pet reaction shots in films because, you know, it implies that the, the animal is not only reacting to what's happening in the scene, but also thinking about what's happening in the scene. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, I think you're, you're exactly right to point this out. And it is a kind of strange tension in the movie. It sometimes makes Alex seem like an ungrateful jerk for talking so much about how like he has to escape this place uh because you know obviously traveling uh, seeing the world that's great that's a good thing to do but like his family and his neighbors are so nice like would it really be so bad to live here with them but anyway we so we're, we're going around meeting everybody and then we finally meet alex himself and where is he they say where else he is standing at the arcade cabinet for the starfighter video game uh, and this is the first of many times we will hear the opening narration of this video game. It says, Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Prepare for blastoff. And I started thinking, wait a second. Did video arcade cabinets in 1984 play back real recorded audio, such as like an extended voice message? I don't remember anything like that. I just remember bleeps and bloops. Mm, yeah, you may be right. Uh, and they certainly talked later, but I don't know yeah. about uh, ones from the cabinets from this era. Rob, you had a note about this when you pointed out how the the, the trailer park is is so idyllic. It's like Arcadia, but it's uh, surely they weren't doing this on purpose. But it is interesting that uh, uh, Alex is uh, trying to escape Arcadia, as you said, via an arcade game. Ha, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if that was their cleverness or or, or my attempt at cleverness, but uh, at, at any rate. Yeah, here's the cabinet just in the middle of everything. And it's a splendid looking cabinet. Uh, it's 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 making sounds, uh, like you say, that, that may be uh, more advanced than other uh, arcade cabinets of the time. We see some gameplay footage, and it also looks really slick. But of course, all of this will make sense as we progress through the plot, because this is no normal arcade cabinet. Right. So when we first meet Alex, he and Maggie, they're supposed to go up to the lake, hang out with their friends. Uh, Alex's friends are all making fun of him. There's the, the guy driving the red pickup truck. He's like, oh, here's Alex on the last leg of his worldwide tour to nowhere. And they all laugh. And then Alex is, is going to, he gives them his like, I'm going to be somebody speech. You know, he, he's, uh, he's like, uh, you, you think I'm just going to hang out with you guys the rest of my life? I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go places. Yeah. He kind of tears into him a little bit. Like he kind of gives back more than he uh, received yeah. in this scene, but everyone's kind of, everyone's good natured enough. They're just like, oh, well that's Alex. Oh, but then Alex can't go to the lake with them because he has to stay behind and help fix the old lady's electricity in her trailer so she doesn't miss her soaps. So Maggie and the gang go to the lake without him while he stays behind to do the grunt work. And you get the feeling this just happens all the time. Alex is, you know, he, he's always got to be, be the handyman around the trailer park instead of going off to do what he wants to do. But it does score him some extra video game time. And I guess he has quarters to spare because he ends up spending some more time 
uh, playing the arcade cabinet, and we end up with a pretty great, great uh, scene here because he's he's progressing enough in the game that he starts making a real run at beating the game, like a real boss run here. And the community takes notice, and they start calling each other over. They gather around the the, the arcade cabinet to cheer him on and watch. Even the pets are present, and uh, you know this is of course a an exaggeration. Uh, but I think it does kind of capture that sen- that performative aspect of public arcade machines of old, you know, that you would have, uh, be, be it at something in the supermarket or at an actual arcade, where if somebody was doing really well at a game, people might gather around to watch and even cheer them on. Like, I, you know, I might never beat this game, but here's somebody who can. Hopefully they can. Maybe I'll get to see the ending. I'll get to see what happens. Yeah. And you want to see them succeed. And you want to see what it looks like. Yeah, you want to see what the mm-hmm. ending is. I love it. The scene is really cute. It's like the old grannies are gathered around, you know, Vanessa Redgrave here, the rocking grandma. Uh, they're, they're talking. It's the, I think the game says uh, approaching command ship. And then they're like, ooh, command ship. What's a command ship? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's very cute. So, I, and and Alex, he like beats the high score. He beats the game. He he uh, he goes for the record, and uh, and then later after the Starfighter victory, you know, there's kind of a wind down, and Alex and Maggie are talking about their future. And there there's one part I totally like is burned into my memory from when I was a kid watching this. Uh, Alex and Maggie are standing outside, and they kiss. And Alex's little brother, Lewis, is looking through the window at them as they kiss. And when they kiss, he says, diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> like he's using it as a, as a curse word or something. Yeah. He's like, diarrhea. Uh, I no. think he means like, that's gross. Right. <laughs> Though I have a very weird memory of not knowing what to make that line when I was a kid. And this is literally where my brain went. I was like, huh, why did he say that? Well, maybe it's because... Uh, diarrhea could potentially be spread by germs, and when you kiss, you exchange germs. So maybe he's suggesting that by kissing, one of them is catching diarrhea from the other one. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if I would put together that <laughs> hypothesis, but um, yeah, I, I just, don't think I that's just, what it meant. <laughs> I think he's, or you could just be like, he's just a kid who says stuff like this all the time. Like he just yeah. learned this word and and what it means, so he's going to say it a lot. Maybe he read about it in one of his many Playboys. Oh, yes, yes. Well, anyway, so uh, Alex comes back to, to talk to his mom, and, uh, and he's, all, he's all, you know, pumped up because he, he beat the record on Starfighter. And he, he approaches his mom in the kitchen. He says, someday they're going to say, this is where it all began. And she's like, what is it? And he goes, mom, I finally broke the Starfighter record. And <laughs> Alex, I mean, I'm glad you had fun with your video game, but the, you're going to have to accept that people aren't going to care very much. Well, games were really hard back in those days, Joe. That's true. <laughs> Nowadays, you beat a video game. It's just like, all right, well, that, that's, a, that's a Tuesday. But back in the day, these were hard. This was an accomplishment. Not in, just anyone could do it. That's true. It's like, Mom, I beat Battletoads. And she's like, oh, in that case. <laughs> but no, she's actually, she's got some bad news for him. That's why she's kind of down. A letter came in the mail. It's his application for a student loan, and it's been denied. So he is mm-hmm. not headed off to wherever it was he wanted to go they never say exactly now this was already in the mail so it could not possibly be connected his rejection for financial aid could not be connected to the alien conspiracy could it 
I doubt it. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe the aliens can intercept the mail. I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> what is it? What is the alien document forgery technique? Uh, what, what What's their level of skill at that? I don't know. They probably have a shape-shifting alien who does it manually at your mailbox, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, Alex is really bummed out about this, and he goes off wandering by himself in the in the front parking lot of the motor court. Uh, and it seems like he's just really dejected. But what's this? There, there's kind of a whirring sound from behind him, and then out, uh, and then out pops this very strange-looking car, and uh, somebody starts speaking to him from inside the strange car, and it almost sounds like the voice of Harold Hill, the Music Man, asking, "Can you tell me the name of the person who beat that video game right over there?" <laughs> and Alex says, "Well, it's me. Who, who are you?" Who who is this guy? This guy is Centauri. Of course, it's Centauri. Yes. Uh, oh, and the, the Centauri mobile here is awesome. It it looks. I mean, obviously there are notes of DeLorean to it, uh, mm-hmm. but it also looks quite fittingly like a spaceship car. It looks like it just rolled off of an Epcot attraction, and I mean that in the best possible sense. There there are also sets in this that really strongly made me think of Epcot. I was just at Epcot. That may have something to do with it. But but it has that kind of like slick design, but also seems like kind of functional, but not not in an authentic way, but in a ride attraction way. Uh-huh. So yeah, strong Epcot vibes here. I see what you're saying. So uh, so we find out some things in this conversation. Uh, we find out Centauri invented Starfighter, the game, uh, to find talented people like Alex. Uh, Alex kind of he hesitates a little bit, but I don't know. He seems interested, like he does want to get away from the trailer park. So he gets into the car. He shakes hands with a humanoid figure who is shrouded in shadow. And this gives him an electrical shock. And then the humanoid gets out of the Centauri mobile. And then uh, Centauri speeds away. And we get a lot of flavor of Centauri. He's driving 300 miles per hour and just chatting at uh, at Alex. And I don't know, what's the Centauri vibe? It's very Harold Hill. <laughs> I wonder, I was just thinking of this. So Centauri, obviously a reference to um, uh, cosmology here uh, and astronomy, but also Centaur makes me think of Chiron, the Centaur uh, tutor to Achilles, uh, mm. the, the wise uh, 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 individual who trains the great warrior. I didn't make that connection. That's interesting. I might, might be reaching. I might be reaching on that one. But I don't know if Centauri trains Alex. Well, he does via the video game he created. Yeah. He recruits him. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Centauri is like, uh, I've got something in store for you. You know, you've proved yourself on this video game. I'm going to take you somewhere. So the car is speeding along and it looks like it's going to crash into a wall at 300 miles an hour. And then it starts flying. Yeah, Alex almost says the S word, but luckily this is a PG family film, so uh, so he doesn't actually get the S word out. I think he could have said it once. They might say it once somewhere else in the movie. Okay, I can't remember if they did, but I was struck, for the most part, this film is very PG with a, a couple of moments where you're like, mm, I don't know, Ron Cobb and company, you're kind of pushing the envelope on, on what the kids would surely have been able to handle. I don't know, the, the, man, the kids in the 80s, they were exposed to, to much worse on the screen, I guess. Yeah, this is at the edge of PG. There are a couple of scenes that are pretty grisly. Uh, I guess here I'm going to start getting a little more cursory in describing what happens uh, so we can more talk about the the broader like themes and movements. But basically, so Alex is riding with Centauri here uh, with Robert Preston up to the space base on Rylos. And uh, Rob, how would you describe the intake procedure at the space base? 
it it straight up feels like an Epcot ride. It it feels uh-huh. like you're about to begin an Epcot ride, uh, and it's great. Like there's a little bit too much space, as if it were designed to um, accommodate large groups of people that are about to board a ride. Like it's supposed to be that if it gets crowded, there's still enough room for a fire exit. Yeah. So they're very responsible, very responsible design. Yeah, yes, exactly. And so when he gets out of Centauri's car in the at the space base on Rylos, he meets some Rylans. They are they again, they all look like Larry David, just like you say. They've got the the horseshoe of white hair and then they're bald on top. They speak to him in an alien language. He doesn't understand them until somebody pins a translator uh device onto his collar and then he understands everything. Uh, but I, I love all the costumes and everything. The aliens are very weird looking. A lot of this is played for comedy, and it is pretty funny. There's one kind of uh, Rylan old lady who looks kind of like kind of like a cat, and she makes a purring noise at him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then meanwhile, uh, so while he's doing all the intake at the space base, uh, there is some weird stuff going on. Back on Earth, we see uh, we see some of the Earth characters like Maggie and and Lewis, the little brother, doing stuff. And uh, at one point, Maggie comes to try to talk to Alex. And it, it, in fact, there is somebody in Alex's bed. That's strange. He's up in space, so who's in his bed? Like totally covered in blankets. And Maggie tries to talk to him, but he just sort of lays there moaning. And she's like, "Well, okay," and she leaves. And as soon as she leaves, we get a moment of absolute horror this is one of the grossest looking things i can remember seeing on screen as a child the 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 figure under the blanket folds the blanket back and reveals i guess that i guess we're supposed to know at this point that this was the beta module the other creature in the car with centauri when when alex left except and it's supposed to be turning itself into a perfect copy of alex but it's not done yet so it is just a kind of slimy looking uh pale humanoid figure with these disgusting like shriveled eyes it, it it's horrifying yeah it's quite grotesque looking uh solid effects maybe a little too solid for this <laughs> yeah. essentially a half-baked clone that's still still cooking there under the covers but anyway the point is that this is going to be a robot that makes itself into a copy of alex so that you know so that nobody misses alex while he's gone a solid B plot that they they spend some yeah. uh, some good time with. Oh yeah, I agree. This is a very good B plot. Uh, but so back in space, Alex is uh, getting briefed with some other recruits. We see the other starfighters uh, and their various types of aliens. Uh, one has tentacles for a mouth. One has a kind of uh, insect face. One just doesn't have a face at all. It's just like its face is kind of like a like a umpire's mask or something. Mm-hmm. And they're all sitting around getting a getting a briefing by Indurin or Indurin, the the head of the Rylands, who has again he's got the Larry David head, but then he's got two big like sort of skull lobes on either side of his forehead. I don't know if that's like a a sign of seniority among them. Yeah, yeah. He but he he starts giving a speech, and this is where he learns. He's like, hey. We have an interstellar war going on because basically me and my son can't get along with each other. Yes. And, <laughs> and Alex learns, uh, you know, what, what, he's, what he's in for here. Right. So uh, he's talking to one of the other recruits there. And, and Alex has been very confused up to this point. But uh, the other recruit tells him, you were recruited by the Star League. And then Alex, like, completes his sentence because he knows this from the video game to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. So this is where everything starts coming together. Everything from the video game was real. It was actually training him 
for this war. The ship from the game is the actual ship that he will fly. He is actually on Rylos. That was a real place, not one made up for the game. He actually has to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. So who is Zur and the Kodan Armada? We, we will find out in a few moments. Uh, but we also learned that the frontier is basically an invisible energy shield uh, that's in space, and it protects the peaceful systems from conquest by by the Kodan Empire. And uh, we find out that due to a dark betrayal, the frontier will soon collapse. Oh, why could that be? Uh, anyway, the starfighters are the only hope that Rylos has left, and they all start chanting "Victory or Death." And this is a little too much for Alex, and he's trying to he's trying to find a way to get out of this mess. And here's where he bumps into Dan O'Herlihy as Grig. How, how would you describe their first meeting here, Rob? Um. It- I would say, you know, mostly comedic. Uh, again, we get the sort of clash of personalities where, uh, uh, I mean, essentially a lot of their, their interaction is kind of like Grig is very much, um, um, you know, of the warrior mindset and duty and honor and, and so forth, but not in a, not in like a, a, a harsh way, but in a very, you know, practical and, and honor bound way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then meanwhile, Alex is like, what war, what, <laughs> This is real, and, uh, and yeah. he's like, "Oh yes, it's very real, yeah, actually." I'm the last starfighter, and he's like, "Well, yeah, yeah, yes, actually, oh yes, you're the last." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think that's right. So Greg is very much, Greg is kind of disappointed in Alex for mm-hmm. wanting to escape the situation. He's like, you really, you're going to walk away from the chance to be a starfighter. That's, uh, that's extraordinary. I can't believe you would do that, but okay. And then he, especially Greg is upset when he finds out that, that Centauri got Alex here by trickery mm-hmm. and he, he knows who Centauri is. So they go chase him down and Greg's like, don't you know, it's illegal to recruit from worlds outside the star league and and centauri's like oh you know they'll be in the star league soon (laughs) Uh, so uh, so i think it's sort of a a star trek like pre-contact by the federation thing Mm. today's episode is brought to you by ebay ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But Centauri's trying to talk uh, Alex into staying here because it's clear Centauri has been paid a bounty for recruiting uh, a starfighter. He's been given a big sum of money and if alex quits he's gonna have to give that money back and centauri doesn't want that so he's like oh it'll be fine this is not actually dangerous uh and then suddenly right after he says that we get a big head incoming there's a giant hologram of another larry david head but this time it's zur baby this is zur he's it's uh what's his name uh john snow not john snow norman snow it's norman snow Azure in hologram form, as big as a, you know, a 
as big as an, I don't know what, an elephant floating in the middle of space in this room, arguing with his dad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, father, I am here to do evil. And uh, Enduring is like, do not call me father. And they argue. And, uh, you know, he's like, you have betrayed Rylos. And then Zuer says, there are some Rylans who would welcome me, father. And the father says, Star League, put down your Zurian cult. Your followers are few and scattered. And Zuer says, Star League, a refuge for weak worlds, not worthy to be our equals. Uh, so, the, yeah, you, we never get much back uh, backstory about this. Like, what is the Zurian cult? How did all this break down? Like, why is the son of this guy operating a cult and now trying to attack the planet he comes from? It's not clear. Yeah, the only thing is clear is that maybe they should have put aside um, rule by monarchy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, so he calls uh, his father calls him a uh, an evil child, and Zuer doesn't like that. He says, and yet it is this child who caught your master spy. And here's here's where we get another. I would say. If this is supposed to be a kid's adventure movie, this is a kind of age-inappropriate scene. We get uh, the master spy on vid screen here, and he is uh, killed in a horrible way by this like laser pulse to the head that kind of melts his brain as he screams. Yeah, it's you know very well done, and again, a little too well done. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 kind of horrific. It melts the top of his head. Yeah. And then, fortunately, the cuts away before we see anything else. Right. And this is right after Centauri's like, oh, this is not dangerous. So Alex is out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he leaves. Uh, he wants to go back to Earth. So he, he's refusing the call now. And uh, meanwhile, we're going to see what's going on with Zur and his buddies. So we see the frontier. It's kind of like all these green little doodads floating in space. And I guess they're... Uh, they marking an invisible barrier and uh, Zur and the Kodan Armada are sitting in the command ship right next to that frontier. And uh, they're, they're going to get ready to attack Rylo. So we see Zur massaging a scepter that he receives from somebody. He, he goes, you know, he's like looking at the scepter and he goes, just like your Kodan emperors, isn't it commander Krill and commander Krill standing nearby says it takes more than a scepter to rule Zur, even on Rylos. So you can tell there's some tension between them. Like commander Krill's working for Zur, but he doesn't necessarily like it. Yeah, and, and I, I I thought this was interesting. Instead of just presenting our our evil space emperor, or our, our evil space usurper, which wouldn't really require a lot of legwork there, you can just basically say this is what it is. That's what most uh, Star Wars knockoffs did, uh, and you don't you don't really question it. But here we we do have a slightly more nuanced situation where um, uh, where we have the the cast off son who's aligned himself uh, with the enemy. And they're not super happy to have him around. Like they seem to to recognize that he's dangerous and full of himself, but he does have important information that's going to be pivotal for this particular campaign. So he's been given this title. He's been given this authority uh, w- within the Kodan military, but it's a tenuous relationship, even if he does not realize that's the case. Right. And you can tell Zur just takes uh, everyone else's uh, submission for granted. You know, yeah. he's like, he's not going to, he doesn't care. He's entitled to this. Uh, but anyway, they're going to use Zur's knowledge about how to get through the frontier 
to launch a meteor attack on the base on Rylos. It's a brutal attack. They like shoot space rocks at the base. Um, they blow it up. This is made extra possible by a double agent who sets off a bomb within the base to disable the uh, like the turrets that are supposed to shoot down the meteors. Mm-hmm. And who's the double agent? Turns out it's the cat lady. It's the purring lady from before. <laughs> oh, man. But at the end of this whole thing, Zur finds out he gets intelligence that one of the starfighters has escaped. Oh, no. So what's he going to do about that? Well, we check in back on Earth. And uh, one thing that's funny is when so Centauri takes uh, Alex back to the, the trailer park, though, it takes him a while to get there because his his Centauri mobile breaks down and he has to like yeah. fix it. So Alex sort of wanders back to the trailer park by himself. And when he first meets Maggie, he's like, Hey Maggie. And she's really mad at him and he doesn't understand why, but it's because he doesn't realize there has been another copy of him here. And the other copy of him is not very good at dealing with people. That's right. It, it, it genetically copied him and I guess ab- absorbed certain memories, but it's having to figure out a lot of the other stuff uh, in real time. Uh, with uh, with some, some kind of a comedic scenes here and there. I mean, they're supposed to be comedic anyway, where he's like trying to figure out um, like how romance works yeah. by by turning up his robot hearing and trying to hear what other couples are saying in the the makeout park. I thought that scene was funny. Yeah, it, yeah, no, no, it was it was fine. It was good. Like I say, as far as B plots go, uh, you know, the, the the Earth plot in your space opera, all of this is really really well done. And this is where we get the double with the double role because we end up having interaction between Alex and his beta copy. Right, exactly. So Alex, he he talks to Maggie. She's mad. He doesn't know why. And then it's clear, like somehow he's been there doing things that made her mad, even though he wasn't there. So he goes back to his room and he meets the copy of him, the beta module. And they argue, you know, beta module is like, hey, I'm I'm here taking your place. Aren't you supposed to be saving the universe? And, uh, you know, Alex is like, I- I'm not going to do that. It's a war, you know, it's dangerous. And then, uh, commenting on a poster that Alex has in his bedroom, uh, the copy says, Oh, save the whales and not the universe. Huh? And I was like, Oh, good point. I guess the whales are in fact at risk from Zur and the Kodan Armada. But anyway, Alex is like, well, I'm back here now. So, you know, yeah, hit the bricks, <laughs> hit the bricks. Right. So, uh, so you think maybe, well, what's he, is he just going to chill here on earth? No, because here comes an alien hit beast. Uh, there's, it's like a hitchhiker who gets out of a car at the, at the trailer park and he's walking around. He walks in front of the video arcade game and it, it shines a light on him that like removes his human disguise and reveals him to be this grotesque alien creature. And then the creature tries to kill Alex. There's this big fight. Centauri shows back up and, and blasts the alien with a, with a laser, but the alien also gets one hit in on Centauri kind of shoots him in the, in the hip or something. And they talk about it and it's like, well, you know, these hit beasts, uh, what, what, what are they called again? Zandozans or something? Zandozans. Yeah. Zandozan hit good beasts. Feelings. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to keep coming, right? Uh, Alex, he's like, as long as you're alive here, Zura's going to be sending these things after you. Uh, so really, you've got no choice but to go back and fight uh, and leave the beta module here to absorb the attacks by these hit beasts. And I think this does it. Alex is like, well, yeah, and no choice, basically. I got to go back mm-hmm. and fight the Kodan Armada. So he goes back. Uh, there, he, there's a reunion with Grig. We get, we get an apparent death of Centauri scene where he's like, oh, yeah. my wounds. And he's, he collapses in his car. Uh, he has a great last line before he apparently dies. Talking about uh, collecting the money for bringing Alex back. And 
Oh God, what, what, what is it? He says, he's like, you know, it's great to, he gives some kind of lofty thing about like, what's really, what really matters in life. But then again, it never hurts to be rich. <laughs> yeah. And then he dies yeah. and, and Greg, Greg has a nice moment here. He's like, like, well, he's passed on for this dimension anyway, or something without effect, you know, mm-hmm. uh, noble and brief, but, but very accepting of death and the reality of death. And Alex though, is just in complete, uh, um, um, denial. He's like, he's like Centauri, Centauri. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a nice, uh, juxtaposition there yeah i think grig says death is a primitive concept <laughs> yeah <laughs> grig is very vulcan in many respects i guess yes yes he is um i mean not in the sense of not having emotions he does have emotions but there there are some other kind of vulcany dynamics that kind of yeah uh it, this makes him sound me uh, a, a kind of friendly well-meaning alien condescension on the human perspective yeah yeah i know what you mean uh, but anyway, here we sort of transition to the third act, right? Like there, there's ongoing conflict with there are some uh, hit beasts that will continue to to plague uh, Beta and Maggie back back on Earth, and meanwhile, Grig and uh, and Alex are off to to fight the Kodan Armada, and we're going to get a lot of uh, space battles after this. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of the downside to the last third of the picture is that yeah. you're going to get a lot of these computer effects. You're going to get a lot of uh, opportunities to to see all the ways that they fall a little bit short of mm. uh, of, of what they attempted to achieve, and uh, again for for a modern film viewer, if you're coming into this after having watched, I mean, really, if you're coming into this having watched even the original Star Wars, you're going to find uh, this a little bit uh, disappointing. Definitely agree about the space battles. Actually, though, I thought that the uh, the the big showdown on Earth is is fantastic. Where there's oh, like yeah. a hit, yeah, there's like a hit beast coming after Beta and Maggie, uh, but it happens to overhear Beta revealing the fact that he's not really Alex and that Alex mm-hmm. is up in space. And then it's like, uh oh, okay, I better run off and message uh, Zuer with this information. Uh, so they have a big showdown about that. Uh, the hit beast almost gets the message off and almost reveals, but then the the robot sacrifices itself by ramming into the alien spaceship with a pickup truck. Yeah, so I think the only thing he gets, uh, the only part of the message he gets uh, sent out is um, like the, the the last starfighter is, and then we don't know. But when Zur hears this, he's like, "Oh, the last starfighter is dead. Clearly, that's it. Don't worry, Codans. Let's yeah. continue on with the assault." And they're like, "Okay, leave the shields down." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is another critique I have about the space battles. I think the the the, the last Starfighter's vessel. What is it? What is it called? Um, a Gunstar. Gun, a Gunstar. The Gunstar looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The but the villain's uh, warship just feels. It doesn't feel threatening enough. I don't know. It for yeah. me anyway. My personal taste. The, the 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 Star Destroyer of this picture did not have enough of a Star Destroyer vibe. I think the bosses in Star Fox look better. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of a big V. It's like there's nothing that looks all that villainous or interesting about it. Yeah, it looks more industrial uh, than anything, yeah. at least when we compare it to other sci-fi spaceship designs. There is a great thing that they build up to, uh, which is uh, they mention it several times. You know, there's one last weapon we have on the Gunstar. It is the Death Blossom. <laughs> yes. And the, the, they build it up real big. And then when they actually do it, it kind of doesn't look that cool. And it's like, oh, okay. It just made me think of Blooming Onion. Though, so that kind of threw me, threw me out of the picture yeah. there. The Death Blossom. 
But eventually, of course, how is this movie going to end? You know what's going to happen. Uh, Alex and Grig save the day. They they defeat the command ship. They defeat the Kodan Armada. Uh, they they blast up the command ship good, and then it is sent like barreling toward a moon. I think. Yeah, we have some some fun drama aboard the vessel, though, yeah. leading up to this moment and at this moment. Because first of all. The, when the Kodans realize that the last starfighter is alive, they're like, okay, enough of this Zur nonsense. And they have him thrown, taken away to be thrown in the brig. They're like, yeah. that's it. He's out of here. This is totally a Kodan um, uh, enterprise at this point. Uh, he's, he's out of the chain of command. We don't need him anymore. Uh, so they, so he's dra- they drag him away. Some, or one of the Kodan guards drags him away. But Zur overpowers the guard and escapes in the escape pod. Okay, and uh, and that leaves uh, just the Kodans on board as their ship begins to crash into the moon, and we get this uh, last moment between the two Kodan commanders. Well, you know they're trying all these different things, defense me- methods, and then they realize they're going to crash into the moon. And one says, "What do we do?" And then the other one looks up at him. Space monocle moves into place, and he says, "We die." And then, sure enough, they crash into the moon and die. Cool moment. I knew that was the one you were thinking of earlier. I don't even know why it's so cool, but for some reason, to, 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 when I was a kid, like this was like really cool. Like, why aren't all dramatic moments punctuated with a space monocle uh, moving into place? But of course, as as you pointed out, Zur survives. He takes the escape pod. Yeah, and he lives on in the no sequel limbo with the likes of Jared Sin. Oh. Uh, villains that they were like, we, we got to save this villain. Don't We don't want to get rid of this villain. Have them escape so they can come back in the sequel. And then, of course, the film does not end up getting sequeled. So who knows? How is it that there are seven Trancers movies, but there is no sequel to The Destruction of Jared Sin or The Last Starfighter? Can you imagine a Marvel-style universe crossover event in which Zur and Jared Sin team up just the glorious sneering wickedness of it. That would be great. I wonder who else you could throw in there because I know these, this is not the only case where you have a film that, that decided to set up its sequel, but never got to do it. Um, I guess that you have some like Masters of the Universe, but no, that's Skeletor. I mean, obviously Skeletor is going to survive, but but films like this and uh, Jared Sin are especially noteworthy because they're establishing that villain. They're like, no, this is our Skeletor. Of course, mm. Skeletor survives and will be back in the next picture. You know, probably next year or maybe the year after. Now, spoiler for the end of the movie after. Alex and Grig defeat uh, defeat all the bad guys. They come down to Rylos. They're greeted by Injuren. There are uh, just like, it appears to be tens of thousands of Rylans all, all cheering for them and ready to make them co-dictators of Rylos. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and spoiler, spoiler coming here, but there's a big twist. What's the twist? What's the twist? It's Centauri still alive. Here's Robert Preston. He sort of wipes off a, an alien face and there he is again. And he's like, Oh, I wasn't dead. My body just went into hibernation to heal its wounds. (laughs) It's pretty great. I mean, on one level, it feels kind of forced, but it it also just feels good to have him back. I mean, we didn't need this character to die. It's great. It's great that he came back. Came back as Centauri the White. And you can tell he's like, he's like getting behind Alex and like kind of whispering in his ear. He's like, let me tell you what to do now, son. Yeah. It's like now he's his Alex's agent, which I like. (laughs) 
Uh, and there's also a, a very sweet ending. It kind of goes on a little long, but there's mm-hmm. a sweet ending where Alex and Greg go back to the to the trailer park on Earth. And they see all of Alex's friends and, and all the neighbors there figure out, oh, wow, it's all real. It's from another planet. And and Alex gets Maggie to come with him on the spaceship back to Rilo so they can recruit more starfighters to defend the galaxy. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's very heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, Greg gets to meet all the grandmas. I like oh, that yeah. moment. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. Though it's, it is unfortunate we don't get like the, the Greg with the sunglasses saying surfs up. But I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, in a longer cut of the film, perhaps we could have had that. Now, I don't know any of the details, but I think there is some sort of a reboot or return to the Last Starfighter world in the works. I don't know what it's going to consist of, if we're talking about a film or a series or what. Um, it's, it's an interesting idea because there's a lot, of, depending on where they go with it. I mean, they could just kind of throw everything out the window, I guess. They could go really hardcore and just pick up and just try and honor everything that's in this film. But even if they end up going for that somewhere in between, there's, there are a lot of interesting pieces that are put on the table here, but are not completely explored, that are introduced, but, but could be fleshed out more. And if you were to do a pretty long, you know, like a longer form thing, like there's a lot of cool shenanigans you could have with the beta Alex on Earth. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's room to expand this. I, I'm, I'm not completely opposed to the idea of a, of a reboot here. I would be, I would be open-minded about it. Who would they cast as Centauri now? Uh, that would oh. be interesting. Jeff Goldblum, maybe? Would Jeff Goldblum, uh, 2022 Jeff Goldblum, make a good mm. Centauri? Ooh, what about Jeff Bridges? Ooh, there you go. Get, get into some of that Tron action. No, yeah, yeah, he could do it. Yeah, yeah, he, he would be good. Now, I neglected to say where you can get this movie. Uh, you, can, you should be able to rent or buy it digitally wherever you get your pictures these days. It's also been, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a major release, so it's been available on various formats at home. I believe there was a 25th anniversary edition that came out on Blu-ray a few years back. And I'm not sure if they remastered it or, or what, but I, I feel like the... The, the, the film quality that I watched it in was very clear, very, very pristine. It uh, mm-hmm. looked, looked really good. Yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, again, aside from the, um, uh, the computer effects, everything stand, pretty, pretty, pretty much stands up pretty well to uh, modern viewing here. So, yeah, this is a fun one. Uh, I'd be interested to hear from other folks out there who fondly remember it or just remember it uh, from their childhood and what it's been like to uh, watch it again uh, all these years later, or what's it like to watch it for the first time? I don't know. Uh, I'd be interested in that as well, because it's, it's a film that for many people, it's very much a product of its time. It, you know, mm-hmm. it speaks to that time. And you think about having watched it as a kid. I, I don't know how it reads necessarily, uh, if it's consumed fresh today. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and close it out here, but, uh, we'd love to hear from everyone out there. So right in, uh, weird house cinema will remind you is our, our Friday episode in the stuff to blow your mind podcast feed. We're primarily a science podcast and we do our core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, on Mondays we do listener mail. So if, if you have thoughts about this or other films, well, that's where we, we read them, uh, along with uh, feedback regarding our other episodes. Uh, we have short-form Monster Fact or Artifact episodes on Wednesdays. And on the weekends, we do Vault episodes. Those are reruns of past episodes uh, from, uh, from Stuff to Blow Your Mind. 
Oh, and one more thing, uh, music.com That's a blog where I include blog posts about the movies we cover on Weird House. And if you use Letterboxd, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, we are on there. Our username is Weird House. You can look us up. We have a list on there that has all the films that we've watched on Weird House Cinema. So if you want a quick, easy-to-reference, visual, easy-to-sort-through uh, guide to what we've covered on the show before, that's a really great place to go. Huge thanks, as always to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.